0: If you have a Bible, could you please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 as we continue through our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are in the the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be looking today at Matthew 7 verses 1 through 6. Uh, One of the great dangers in reading God's Word or listening to a sermon is to come to the end of one or the other and think first and foremost, well, I sure know a lot of people that needed to hear that message. When we fail to apply God's Word to our own hearts, we have set ourselves on a path towards self-righteousness And hypocrisy and few things in life are more blinding than spiritual pride and religious play-acting. This is not a, a new problem and I even wonder if Jesus began to sense in preaching this sermon that his hearers had begun to deflect his words off their own hearts and had begun applying them to their friends and family their neighbors and their enemies. Rather than allowing Jesus' word to be a a mirror to reflect their needs and their shortcomings, maybe they had begun to elbow their friends and their spouses and sort of say, did you hear what he said? Because you need to work on that a little bit. Of course, there are times in life when our friends and our spouses and our loved ones need a a loving elbow in the form of a, a rebuke or a correction or instruction. And the proclamation of the gospel itself is a call for people to repent and to turn from their sins and to change. However, our, our desire to, to judge or to correct others is often very far from loving. We all know how easy it is to become judgmental, to, to think the worst of others, to zero in on the faults of our enemies and parade them in front of others, while all while consciously or subconsciously ignoring our own faults. Just just think for a moment through your relationships and see if this isn't true of, of your heart and of mine. Think through your relationships at home or maybe at work. How often do you judge the motives or the actions of other people? As you drive around town, are you gracious towards your own driving mistakes but enraged at the failings of others? At the store or in a restaurant, how much energy do you spend being critical of other people. Kids, when you're at at school, do you join in 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 making fun of others? Or do you spend your time thinking about how you're better than all your classmates? Well, as we continue to think about the greater righteousness of the kingdom that Jesus has been talking about, we move from thinking about that righteousness in relation to money and possessions from the end of chapter six, into thinking about what the greater righteousness looks like as we interact with people in this world. What it means for our relationships. And the warning we find in Matthew 7, 1 through 6, is very simple. It's this Beware of unfairly judging others. Beware of unfairly judging others. Simple big idea. Five words. Easy to write down, but hard to apply. Beware of unfairly judging others. Let's read Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, and start to see. Uh, this warning from Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This big idea, beware of unfairly judging others, is the overarching principle of this passage, probably through verse 12. It's seen in its most simplest form here in verses 1 and 2. Matthew 7 verse 1 is said to be the most often quoted scripture uh, in our day. And while that's hard to measure and hard to know if it's completely true, uh, this is a verse that is certainly known very widely within our culture. The, ver- the variety of people who will say to you, judge not lest you be judged is, is wide when people quote this verse, they're usually communicating that we must not judge or criticize or condemn others in any way. Uh, people assume that, that Jesus is telling his followers that we are in no place to evaluate the lies of other people. We should never judge anyone. And in one sense, that's true. Romans 12, 17 through 19 is helpful. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we are called to be people of peace, and to condemn others outright is something that we are to leave ultimately to God, knowing that he's the only one that can judge others with perfect justice and with an unbiased eye. However, I think it would, it's overly simplistic to say that this command here in Matthew 7, 1 forbids judgment and evaluation of others in any form. Even just the context of this chapter, let alone the book of Matthew, tells us that. Right here in Matthew 7, verse 6, we're told that we need to discern between the wild dogs and the pigs of this world. Verses 15 through 20 tell us that we need to distinguish between true and false prophets. Matthew 10 verses 11 through 15 talk about worthy and unworthy hearers of the gospel. And in Matthew 18, we read about church discipline, and we find that if we are careful about how we judge others, we can actually know that we are acting with God's authority in doing so. So Matthew 7, 1 is is not a prohibition against judging or evaluating others and their behaviors or against being discerning and, and wise people. We have to wisely judge others, if we're gonna survive in this life. Because there's people to be wary of and there's people to welcome with open arms. And so Dr. Pennington offers this translation, do not judge unfairly. That that's what Jesus is getting at here. Do not judge unfairly. And then he notes, the point is not that all evaluations of others and situations must be avoided, but rather that disciples must evaluate and discern properly and fairly. Some other commentators are also helpful at getting that understanding what Jesus is prohibiting his followers from doing. R.T. France writes this, This passage is concerned with the fault-finding, condemnatory attitude, which is too often combined with a blindness to one's own failings. John Stott explains that it's a prohibition against censoriousness. And then he hopefully... (laughs) Uh, describes what censorious means because we don't really know what that means. He says this, the censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Sounds like Twitter. Twitter. Uh, this kind of critical, fault-finding, negative, destructive, condemning, ungenerous judgmentalism is what Jesus is calling his, fo- calling his followers away from. Not judging or evaluating others at all. It's, it's not that we're not supposed to judge or evaluate others at all, but rather that we're not supposed to be harsh in our judgment. Instead, as we'll see in the rest of this passage, we're called to be gracious and generous in our judgments of others. We're to be humble, knowing our own weaknesses. A major reason for avoiding unfair judging of others is found in verse 2, which states that the way that we judge others is the way that we will be judged. The sad irony of life is that we often look with critical and harsh eyes at others, but when we find ourselves in a similar, similar situation, we want to be treated with grace. Suppose someone is supposed to meet you at 6 a.m., and you go through all the hard work of, of getting up early and showing up on time. You're even there a little bit early, and as you arrive at the meeting place, they text you letting you know that they slept in and they're going to be a half hour late. And maybe you get frustrated, and you get a little judgmental of them, and you wonder how anyone could be so disrespectful, and you judge them harshly, and then you text back something simple and passive-aggressive like, "K." You know, just that one letter communicates so much in situations like that. Well, then imagine the next morning that you oversleep and you're late to a different 6 a.m. meeting. How do you want that person that you have made weight, how do you want them to treat you? Do you want them to judge you with the harshness and lack of grace that you had judged the other person with the day before? Of course not. But Jesus warns us that if we unfairly judge others, if we are harsh then we will be treated in the same way. This recalls Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, where after he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Remember Jesus says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Harshness towards others breeds harshness towards us in life. If you are judgmental, it's going to come right back on you. And even more daunting than the judgment of fellow human beings is the judgment of God. Now let's be clear. God does not judge us unfairly. God always judges us with perfect justice. But we also know that God is patient and God is gracious towards all people. However, he seems to say here that if we offer no grace or patience to others, then he will offer none to us. I think the way we understand this is to understand it through the lens of the gospel. The lens of the gospel is that, not that our graciousness towards God earns God's grace towards us, but rather that God's graciousness towards us changes us completely such that we extend grace towards all people. God would be, perfectly just to condemn us because of our sin and our rebellion against him. And those unchanged by Jesus who harshly judge others will face eternal judgment from God, a judgment that will be devoid of grace and patience and full of just wrath against their sin. But there is a grace of God that opens our eyes to our sin and leads us to repentance. We turn from our sin. We trust in Jesus who in his grace came to live and to die for our salvation. He's come so that we can be forgiven for all of our sins. We are made new by him. And part of being made new by Jesus, part of being recipients of God's matchless grace is that we in turn are gracious towards others. Here's John Stott again. He summarizes these verses well. The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be human by suspending our critical powers, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. Beware, brothers and sisters, of unfairly judging others. Leave ultimate condemnation in God's hands and remember the grace that you've been shown through Christ. Now, having established this warning to beware of judging others unfairly, Jesus helps us think about how we might fairly and helpfully judge others. How how can we avoid unfairly judging others but still live in the greater righteousness of the kingdom where there's a place for encouraging and correcting and instructing others? Two thoughts on that. The first from verses three through five and the second from verse six. So the first is if if we want to walk in the greater righteousness and, and lovingly correct and instruct others, we, first of all, be a gracious brother or sister, not a self-righteous hypocrite. Be a gracious brother or sister, not a self-righteous hypocrite. Now, brothers and sisters know how to fight and they know how to judge each other for sure, Right? But there's also a love for brothers and sisters that prevails in the end, I think. And for those of us who are in the family of God, we love one another and we desire to help each other. But our self-righteousness and spiritual blindness often gets in the way of that love. The problem, writes Jonathan Pennington, is not that Christians can never discern right or wrong in another, but that disciples often do so without awareness of their own blindness and inability To judge rightly. Now, Jesus explains this with a famous and wonderful illustration. It would be amusing if it wasn't so true. He says that the sin of others appears to us like a speck of sawdust in their eye. And in in seeing that speck, we, we decide to be helpful and take the speck out of their eye. But here's the problem I'll show you. This is what Jesus is describing, it's comical. He says you're trying to take the sawdust out, but this is what you look like. That you have a, a plank or a beam sticking out of your own eye. Now, can you imagine trying to take a piece of sawdust out of someone's eye with this in your eye? Is it possible? <laughs> Probably not going to happen. And that's that's what's amusing about it. Again, but it's it's almost not funny because that's how we act. We, we, we try so hard to, to help others, but in reality, we need to... First, deal with our own sin. We have a natural tendency like the Pharisee of Luke 18 to magnify the sin and the failings of others while minimizing our own. You might think of judging others unfairly like a, uh, like a filter on your, on your phone's camera. And when you take a selfie, you put a, a filter on it that, that enhances your beauty and it hides all your flaws. And then when you flip that camera around to take pictures of everyone else, You have a filter that enhances and and emphasizes all of their flaws and all of their sins. This passage always reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Willy Wonka tells the children on the tour of his factory about a new candy. And this candy lets you spit in seven different colors. And as he says that, there's a girl who replies with her finger up her nose. She says, spitting is a dirty habit. And Gene Wilder, as Willy Wonka says, I know a worse one. <laughs> Jesus calls us away from the self-righteousness and the hypocrisy that is blind to our own faults and does more harm than good when judging others. Now, here's the problem though. We might be tempted to, to sum up Jesus's teaching with the phrase, mind your own business. Judge not. But that would be a mistake, right? Because verse 5 shows us that we can and we should help our brother or sister with the sin in their lives. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Before we seek to instruct others, we must first deal with our own issues. And once we have done that, then we can help others because we will see more clearly. We'll see more clearly. What What is this clearer vision that results from removing the plank from our eye? At the very least, what it means is that we become more charitable and we become more gracious. We see that we too struggle, that we all struggle. And often, in, in a unique way, often the struggles that we are most aware of in others are the ones that we are ignoring in ourselves. The things that drive you crazy in other people are probably the sins and the shortcomings that you're suppressing in yourself. And so we're called to deal with our own sin first. And then when we come back to others, we come with a a gentleness and a kindness that's needed for removing a speck of sawdust from someone's eye. Have you ever removed a speck of sawdust from someone's eye? I I haven't, but it's going to take some care and some patience and some kindness and some love. And that's only going to come when seeing that we have our own issues to deal with. Suddenly, you know what happens if we start thinking like Jesus is telling us to? Suddenly, our first reaction towards the sin of, sins of others is not to judge them harshly, but rather to consider how we might have similar struggles and sins. We see something in them and it says, I wonder if I'm struggling with that. I wonder if I'm hurting others in the way I do that. And once we deal with that plank in our own eye, we come now with a new graciousness and a new love to serve. Brothers and sisters, beware Beware of unfairly judging others in a spirit of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. And instead, be a gracious brother or sister who looks inwardly first and then lovingly and courageously seeks to help others. A second thought, though, that's, that helps bring some balance. Secondly, Jesus tells us, be discerning, not a fool. Be discerning. Be be wise, not a fool. Look at verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now that verse feels out of place in this passage, let alone the whole (laughs) Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to fit it in, but I think it provides some, some more wisdom about how we speak truth to others. Verses three through five And verse 6 function, I think, like Proverbs 26, 4 through 5, which are two seemingly contradictory verses that are right next to each other. Proverbs 26, 5, like Matthew 7, 3 through 5, tells us, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So we need to point out and help others that are struggling. Answer a fool according to his folly. But Matthew 7, 6 sort of runs parallel to Proverbs 26, 4, which says, answer not. A fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, we have to be discerning in who we offer rebuke and counsel and wisdom to, or we will end up being as much of a fool as they are. The illustration is of setting something holy or valuable before dirty and unclean animals. Now, the thought of giving holy or valuable things to dogs doesn't carry as much weight. In American culture, uh, because often we (laughs) treat our dogs better than we treat our humans sometimes, right? But the dogs referenced here were not family pets. They were the strays of the city that sort of probably hung around the garbage dump. Uh, Some of you have either lived or traveled to cities outside of the U.S., and you understand this concept of street dogs. And you know that giving them something valuable would be unheard of. Similarly, you would never give a pearl necklace to a pig, would you? I guess maybe Miss Piggy, but... You wouldn't give it to a pig. It would either mistake this pearl necklace for food or it would trample it in the mud. And when it realized that it wasn't food, it might trample you. Well, what are the the holy things? What are the, the pearls? In this context, I think they are truth. They are words of truth, they are instruction. First, we could say that they are the gospel message. And there are are some who are so profane and so opposed to God that they will never hear the words of life offered by Jesus. And so we see places like Luke 10, 10 and 11, where Jesus tells his disciples to go into cities to look for people of peace, but also that there are times when they need to walk out and just shake the dust off of their feet and keep the pearl of the gospel from those who would trample over it and harm us. Paul and Barnabas are seen functioning in the same way in their first missionary journey, where sometimes they presented the gospel and then they said, we're going somewhere else because you all have rejected it. Uh, The truth spoken of here may not simply be the gospel message. It could be words of correction, words of instruction to brothers and sisters or to people in general. And Jesus seems to indicate that there are those that we need not waste words with. Those who are unrepentant, those who are antagonistic, those who are unteachable, fools who refuse to receive instruction of any kind. To shake the dust off of our feet, to withhold words of correction is not something that we do lightly. In fact, I think if we recognize the beam of stubbornness in our own eye, then we are graciously going to return often, even to those who push against our counsel. However, there is a time to walk away. Of course, as we seek to apply this, I think we should also note that we may in fact not be the one who is offering wisdom and truth in these situations. We could instead actually be the fool, the fool who stubbornly refuses words of life. Being teachable is a beautiful thing. Being someone who listens to others is, and seeks to hear truth from others is a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's a humble thing. It's a Christ-like thing, unlike self-righteousness, unlike pride, unlike hypocrisy. So if you are not a Christian today, I would say don't be a fool. Don't refuse the, the good news that Jesus has come to bring salvation to all who acknowledge their sin and trust in Him for salvation. Don't trample over that priceless message. Be humble and teachable and, and learn uh, that salvation is found in Jesus. And if you're a Christian, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool that refuses the counsel and the wisdom of others and of God's word. Be humble. Be teachable. As you think about this passage and we think about how the world often wants to use it to say, don't judge anyone. I can understand why they feel that way. This world has enough critical, fault-finding, negative, destructive, condemning, ungenerous judgmentalism in it. And so I would encourage us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as followers of Jesus, filled with grace and truth, that, that we should not be that. Don't be critical. Don't be fault-finders. Don't be negative, destructive, condemning, ungenerous people. The world's got enough of that. But also the world doesn't have enough truth and wisdom. The the world doesn't have enough people who are loving enough to point out faults and to to speak truth and to share the gospel, but also brothers and sisters who would help others to, to grow in truth and to grow in holiness. So there's enough negative judgmental people in the world. Let's not be those. But there's also not enough truth And there's not enough wisdom in this world. So be someone who speaks forth those things. Beware of unfairly judging others. Instead, what should we be? Be a wise and loving brother or sister who speaks the truth with humility and love to all who have ears to hear. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word. And then I will pray for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy towards us. We are often stubborn. We don't listen. And you are gracious and kind and you show us mercy every day. Pray that you'd make us like Jesus, that we would be gracious and kind and loving, that we would be wise about who we speak to and that there's times when we need to just walk away, but also, Lord, that we would be long-suffering and patient, loving, full of mercy full of grace, full of truth. Lord, open our eyes to our own sin so that we can be gracious towards others who struggle with the same ones. Lord, take your word, write it on our hearts. Help us to live in the way of your kingdom because our world needs it so deeply. I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.